his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. You are entering the news vault from KCBS Radio. Flames and the smoke. I have a tape recorder here in my hand. Now, nobody would think of doing that. The newsmen were blocking the door. It worked for a couple of seconds. Bringing the sounds of history back to life. Here is your host, Stan Bunger. This time, let's roll back to 1969, specifically the spring of 1969, from where we find this archival piece. At that time, the Bay Area was definitely in the nationwide and worldwide spotlight during a period of campus unrest. In particular, San Francisco State College, as it was then known. There had been months of student unrest. There was a faculty strike. The campus was shut down for a while. The university's president relieved of duties and replaced by interim president S.I. Hayakawa, who subsequently would become a hero to some people and a pariah to others. In March of 1969, March 23rd to be specific, KCBS broadcast an episode of the weekly In-Depth interview program. Yes, In-Depth has been going on for well over a half century, featuring Hayakawa as the guest. Interviewers were the KCBS anchor Fred Wilcox, reporter Al Helmzo, and the legendary Time Life journalist Jesse Birnbaum, who at the time was serving as the chief of Time Life's San Francisco Bureau. As you'll hear during the interview, Hayakawa insisted he would not support amnesty for students who were charged with crimes during the campus unrest and would not move to rehire dismissed faculty members. I might add that as a student at San Francisco State a few years later, I became familiar with Hayakawa in a rather different context. Before he became a controversial college president, a man uh, known nationwide and worldwide for the Tam O'Shanter hat that he wore, Hayakawa had written a couple of key books on semantics, Language in Action, dating back to 1939, and then one called Language in Thought in Action in 1949, still being used as a textbook in some places. The fifth edition of that book, published in the 90s and updated by Hayakawa's son, Alan Hayakawa. It sold well over a million copies, been translated into eight languages. You know what? Out of all of my college textbooks, it's one that I held on to because even today, there is great wisdom about the power of words and language and how they can be used for good or ill. S.I. Hayakawa, the guest on In-Depth on this edition of the KCBS News Vault from 1969. This is KCBS News Radio In-Depth. San Francisco State College has been making news for more than four months. This edition presents the world's most well-known acting college president, Dr. S.I. Hayakawa. Questioning him will be news radio anchorman Fred Wilcox. Joining him is Jess Birnbaum, San Francisco Bureau Chief for Time Life Publications. 
Our third newsman is Al Helmzo, veteran reporter familiar with events on the college scene. Fred Wilcox opens the program. Dr. Hayakawa, of course, everybody knows that you have visited with President Nixon. Let's start off with this, if you will. Did uh, the president specifically want to know certain things? And if so, what did you tell him? He wants to know my opinion about um, withdrawing uh, federal assistance from students who got into trouble. And uh, I told him that uh, I would approve of that, except that I didn't know the figures as to what percentage of the people who were in trouble were recipients of federal assistance. Did you recommend a hard line generally to him? No, not really. I wasn't talking about discipline nearly as much as the constructive things that a college in an urban situation could do. What I really talked about was how San Francisco State College, now situated in a moderately well-to-do residential district and next to a nice shopping center, is really too far away from the central city where the real problems of minorities happen to be in a city like San Francisco. And I told them about our concept of Operation Outreach, where we would like to have uh, additional centers for adult education especially, right downtown in a location like the like that of the old Mint Building and uh, right in Hunter's Point or Chinatown, where there are adults uh, who need additional education, uh, educational opportunities, vocational training. I told them about all the chances there are See, in a great city like San Francisco or any other city, the people who, among the many, many people who want education very much are the people between, I should say, 25 and 40. People who got so far in their education and then having gone to work for a little while, decide they want more education, they want to change their careers, they want to upgrade their, uh, their whole uh, level of operation. And this is the point at which an urban university center can be of great help to them. And I told Mr. Nixon that both among whites and among minorities, this sort of thing happens a great deal in a great city like San Francisco. And this is why I want to get into the downtown area. Did the president give you uh, any reaction that would indicate that he would go along with this plan in the near future? Well, he mentioned very specifically the case of Wayne State University, which takes its central location in the big city of Detroit very, very seriously. And seeing that analogy, he said that he would... Uh, well, he was, cl he was clearly interested in the problems of the central city. And he said that uh, if we wanted a site, such as that of the old Mint Building or other surplus federal properties, he would look into it. Well, you're back here now in town, Dr. Hayakawa, and there have been all kinds of rumors coming out of uh, the mill. We understand that you've been meeting with various groups. Could you tell us who they are and what you've been talking about? Well, there's a group of faculty which has been known as the Select Committee a group of um, five plus a legal representative from the chancellor's office who have been meeting with uh, representatives of the Black Students' Union and the Third World Liberation Front in order to uh, arrive at some kind of a program for the future of black studies, ethnic studies, and so on that would be satisfactory both to the administration and to the students. And I think that this group has made considerable progress. As a matter of fact, both the um, student groups and the select committee have worked so hard, so conscientiously, so earnestly 
in trying to uh, figure out a program that uh, would be viable, would be satisfactory to everyone concerned, that I have made that really, the agreements they arrived at, the basis of an administration position on the future of ethnic and black studies. May we ask if uh, any of these points have been settled, the rehiring of Dr. Hare, the rehiring of George Murray, the matter of amnesty for students who have been implicated in disorders? On those three particular points, uh, there was nothing done whatsoever. So far, uh, I, I've indicated quite clearly that there's no possibility of rehiring George Murray. There's no possibility of rehiring Nathan Hare, or maybe a very, very slim possibility, but so slim as to be negligible. And what was the third one? We wondered about amnesty for students. No, uh, there is uh, the question of amnesty was brought up, but I have um, declined to to consider amnesty at all because I believe profoundly that the uh, campus disciplinary procedures are both just and merciful. And I do not believe that uh, the, I believe essentially in due process. Well, Dr. Hyde, and if people are to be found guilty, they're found guilty, but also if they're to be found innocent, they're to be found innocent. Whereas if you just simply issue universal amnesty, you may let get some people off the hook, but you do not establish the innocence of those who are innocent. Weren't these really the, the key issues in the, in the demands, the amnesty, and, and more importantly, the, the autonomy of a black studies program? And uh, have you not then, uh, in effect, said no to any autonomy in staffing the program? No, I have not said no to, to autonomy in the following sense. And it's not I who am saying, it's, it's the uh, Council of Academic Deans on the advice of the Academic Senate that uh, a black studies department will have the same kind of autonomy that the chemistry department would have or the English department. That is a great deal of autonomy. But final appointments, final decisions have to be reviewed by deans and the administration. This sir. is the same kind of freedom that other departments enjoy, the same kind of autonomy. And I don't know why any department should demand more than what all other departments already enjoy. Jesse Bernbaum? Uh, yes, I was, I was about to drift away slightly from that subject to ask you what your own views of your future at San Francisco State are. You are acting president. Yes. Uh, do, you have a, do you have any uh, idea that, uh, that uh, you'll be staying on after another president is chosen? Are you, uh, uh, would you accept the position if it were offered you as president? That, th this question is very hard to answer, even to myself. Uh, I'm absolutely absorbed in the jobs of being present for the time being. Uh, I think about problems one, two, three days ahead at most. Mm -hmm. There's a certain advantage in being acting president as rather than president. It gives me a certain freedom of action. I can behave as if I didn't care whether I kept the presidency or not. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, I don't, because I really haven't decided I like this line of work. <laughs> While you're smiling, Dr. Hayakawa, I want to find out how you feel about trustees and the results of a recent survey, <coughs> which showed that trustees around the country tend to be over 50, conservative, rather well-situated financially. Do you believe that, first of all, that this is true? And if so, do you think that a 50-year-old conservative wealthy man can adequately assess student needs? Some of them can and some of them can't. 
<laughs> I refuse to be trapped into a, a generalization of this kind. Some people over 50, including me, I hope, are still resilient of mind. Some conservatives are more resilient than others. Some liberals are more resilient than others. And also some liberals are more rigid than others, and some conservatives are more rigid than others. And so it doesn't matter whether you're well-to-do or, or poor. This has nothing much to do with the rigidity of your mind. But isn't that exactly, though, what uh, those under 30, and particularly those student age and colleges, believe? Yes, and some people under 30 are extraordinarily rigid of mind. They couldn't be more rigid if they were over 80 <laughs> and terribly rich. <laughs> Dr. Hayakawa, you've uh, certainly become a symbol, I think, of the hard line in college administration. Uh, do you think that, that most people have gone along with that hard line because it's a little easier to understand than the source of the student unrest? Well, it isn't a terribly hard line, actually. I'm so kind-hearted, it gives me a pain in the neck sometimes. See, it's a matter of, of establishing fairly firm lines of behavior. But so far as, as uh, tempering justice with mercy, there's an awful lot of mercy in my makeup, as, we, as there is in that of most teachers. Also, so far as being hospitable to educational experiment, innovation, expanding opportunities for minorities, I'm just soft in the head. There's nothing hard about my position there. That, however, doesn't quite agree with the public image that many have of you, is it? Uh, many, many of us remember seeing the picture of you tearing the wires out of the speakers at the sound truck. Uh, or getting Dr. Nathan Hare off the stage in the faculty indoctrination session. Yes, but, but you see, these, these are reactions to flagrant violations of custom or propriety or regulations. And anyone is entitled, no matter how kind-hearted, to react strongly to flagrant violations of propriety or regulations. That means nothing about how liberal or conservative he is. It means nothing about how kind-hearted or tough he is. Actually, uh, actually, uh, I am what many conservatives would call a woolly-minded liberal. What kind of conservatives Except would call you that? Of all kinds, I get uh, I get wonderful fan mail. For example, I had a nice telegram from a group in Southern California towards the beginning of my administration that congratulated me for my hard line. And then I did something uh, conciliatory and nice about black studies, whereupon I got another telegram saying, congratulations of last week are hereby revoked. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Hayakawa, you said that you have, are hospitable too innovation. How hospitable are you uh, to student power, as they call it, in general? Uh, uh, are you a believer that students should have some control, for example, over chartering and financing of student organizations? Let me talk a little bit about my own intellectual position as a semanticist, which goes back way, way, way before my presidency of San Francisco State College. As a student of semantics, I believe that basically all sorts of human problems can be solved by communication. I believe also that teaching and education are profoundly a communicative process. I also believe that communication is a two-way process. It's not just a teacher talking to the student, it's the student talking to the teacher. And therefore, built into my very theories of semantics is the belief that students should participate 
in the educational process. They should talk back to their teachers. They should have a voice in the direction of their educational future. Now, this is built into my whole body of theory. But isn't it true, though, that the, many of the students feel that it's one thing to have a voice and it's another thing to have some power, that is, some decisive power? Well, it seems to me that there's not much difference, really. How because I'll tell, let me explain this. Mm -hmm. That if you really, if you really have a voice, and you also have a faculty that listens, you have power. But notice that legally, power cannot be transferred to the students by law, and also by a very very practical fact. Faculty stays year after year through decades of service. Students come and go. At most, they're gone in four years. And at San Francisco State College, the average student stays there for even less, two years or so. And therefore, you cannot give power in a legalistic sense to a transient population to the degree that you can to, that you must entrust it to a more permanent population. Therefore, you see, the kind of power the students will have to have is necessarily that of, of persuasion, argumentation, but the legal power must ultimately remain in the hands of the faculty. Let me make one note here, if I may, Dr. Hayakawa, to those who perhaps tuned in just a little late. You're listening to In Depth from KCBS News Radio in San Francisco, and uh, our guest tonight, of course, is the interim president of San Francisco State College, Dr. S.I. Hayakawa. Uh, with us is Jesse Birnbaum, who is the Time Life Bureau Chief here in San Francisco, Al Helmso, who, of course, is a well-known KCBS and Bay Area a newsman, and I'm Fred Wilcox, and we'll return right after this break for station identification. This is KCBS News Radio 74, San Francisco, keeping you in touch with the nation and the world all day, every day. Al Helmso, you look like you wanted to say something here. Well, I uh, perhaps would like to pursue a little farther the, the question of, of student power. That does seem to be the, the crux of, of the campus turmoil across the country. And uh, Dr. Hayakawa, just prior to your meeting with the president, I, I remember you, you being quoted as saying that you felt uh, optimistic about the nationwide situation, but perhaps saw a long road ahead at uh, San Francisco State. Is that correct? I think I see a long, hard road ahead for all of us, not only at San Francisco State College, but elsewhere. Change in education is a reflection of profound social change going on, and there is a lot of social change going on, as we all realize. And as society changes, we have to make difficult adjustments to those changes, and in a sense, adjustments are never easy. Each of us has to do new things, break up old habits, reorganize ourselves in different ways. We put up a lot of resistance, naturally. It's no different in your profession than from mine. How, then, uh, can the students themselves contribute to this change in such a way that would be more amenable to, to uh, progress in terms of education? Well, one thing they can do is to lay off um, dynamizing administration building and other such pleasant pastimes. What this does is to tend to rigidify the attitudes of trustees, administration, boards of regents, and so on, so that they would tend to resist change under, the, under that kind of threat. And on the other hand, there's the opposite extreme. If the students are too docile, 
then let's say conservative and uh, or lazy trustees will do nothing unless well, things are called to their attention. So in between the student being too docile and also too rebellious, there is a happy medium to be found. There are many who uh, who would say, however, that uh, that uh, it was an attempt at making the student body more docile. Uh, in your closing down of the of the San Francisco State <coughs> newspaper, the Gator, uh, how would you uh, reply to that? It has nothing to do with docility, actually. It has to do with responsibility. We've been reviewing this problem for the past week, very, very seriously. Every newspaper see, has to have a publisher who is ultimately responsible for the management of that newspaper. In effect. The student newspaper, The Gator, at San Francisco State College had no publisher. Legally, it was supposed to have something called a board of publications. That board of publications was um, sort of fell apart. Oh, it must have been last May or thereabouts, and it's never been reconstituted. Therefore, editors appointed themselves and then went on their own merry way without responsibility to anyone. Could you have avoided the criticism of censorship, however, by having attempted to get the newspaper management reorganized and still keep it in publication? There was no way to um, to uh, reorganize it without stopping it. But you see, you say, could I have avoided criticism? One very important fact. Maybe this has given the impression that I have a hard line, but very important fact about the way I operate, is that when I feel it is the right thing to do, I do it, regardless of criticism. I accepted the presidency on the assumption, which proved to be correct, that whatever I did, someone's going to be call me, calling me some dirty names. So I've been called an awful lot of dirty names, but unless you're perfectly prepared to do that and do the right thing in spite of this, you're powerless, you see. and so. A lot of people have screamed, I have no um, respect for freedom of the press, I'm behaving like a tyrant, a Hitler, etc., etc. Well, hell with them. Let them call me any names they like. I've got to do the right thing when I see the right thing to do. Dr. Hayakawa, I would like to go back to something that you talked about earlier. Uh, you mentioned uh, something that apparently is close to your heart, and that is bringing the university or the college out into the community. Uh, how does this sit with the Black Students' Union, for example? Uh, which hasn't been talking much about that, which has been talking about its own rights on campus. Yes, I know. And this is why I've criticized the Black Student Union for having a pretty limited imagination. But now that I have told them that these other possibilities are open, making um, vocational opportunities available to more and more minority students and so on, well, they certainly don't resist it. They listen. Will it be a substitute, though? No, it's not a substitute. Oh. There's going to be a black studies program and ethnic studies program anyway, insofar as it's necessary. Dr. Hayakawa, there's been a lot of talk very recently that uh, student violence of the type that has occurred at the campus in the form of bombings and other things that are very violent acts are part of a na nationwide conspiracy. Do you subscribe to that theory? Well, there's something to it. Notice that uh, when my speech at Boulder, Colorado was disrupted, uh, 
by elements of uh, black radical students and the Students for a Democratic Society, students from San Francisco State College had traveled to Boulder in order to hold a rally to protest my appearance there in Boulder. Now, this is only one of many, many instances of students from one college turning up at an entirely different one, thousands of miles away, to encourage disruption of normal campus activities. But from their same, the same school that you've been working with. That's right. Yeah. And, when, but, and then, then when we have disruptions at San Francisco State College, we have had students from elsewhere, from Chicago, from Chico State, from Columbia, turning up at San Francisco State. Now, the fact that this is the case is it doesn't become clear until photographs are compared and sent back and forth between the various campuses. But as more and more photographs are exchanged as to who has created what disturbances where, it is very, very clear that there is a network of, shall I say, mutual aid. <laughs> mutual aid perhaps would be, uh, while more charitable, also might be more accurate than conspiracy, which we seem to associate with more uh, deadlier uh, purposes, would you say? Well, don't you agree about that by imputing to it some signs of this kind of thing uh, that it's a sop to the people who believe that it's all part of a worldwide, uh, what, communist conspiracy? Well, I have never used the word communist in this connection. I just simply call attention to the Port Huron statement of the Students for a Democratic Society and other such documents of the revolutionary left, which has said over and over and over again, we intend to disrupt this, that, that, and the other place. We intend to to bring, as soon as possible, various going institutions of American society to a grinding halt. Now, notice that when um, Hitler at one time said he was going to do conquer this and conquer that and conquer the other. People laughed at him and said, they don't, he doesn't really mean that, for goodness sakes. And people read the literature of the, sport, uh, of, um, the Students for De Democratic Society, and they, they, they dismiss it with a shrug and say, well, hell, they can't, they can't do all that. But they've been doing it. They've said specifically that they wish to destroy this rotten, corrupt society. This is the way they see this society. Now, whether it's a conspiracy or a great big mutual aid plan, doesn't matter what you call it, there is a real hard determination on the part of a large number of alienated and disaffected youth to destroy some of our basic institutions, including Columbia University, University of Wisconsin, Brandeis University, San Francisco State College, and a large number of other places. What type of numbers are you talking about, Dr. Hayakawa? Percentages? You've always said it's a small percentage. It's a involved. small percentage. But notice, not, you notice how, how, how small a percentage it takes to disrupt normal ongoing activities. Supposing one person in a hundred decided that he's not going to drive on the right-hand side of the road. This would bring all traffic to a stop. Do you realize? It's beginning to look like uh, Sacramento is, the hopper in the legislature is going to be full of bills to really make it hardline on our California college campuses. Do you think we might overcorrect? I don't know. I really don't know. Well, with that, I do you think we have enough authority, or you have enough authority now? I don't know that either. I really don't know. 
Dr. Without, let me try to answer this question. I do not at all blame legislators in Sacramento for trying to devise more and more legislative implements by means of which the campus disorder can be controlled. They are responding to an enormous expression of concern on the part of the entire general public. The entire general public most of whom have never been to college, are horrified and shocked that people who have this wonderful opportunity of going to get a college education want to tear the college up. And the average person, especially those who have never been to college, are shocked and horrified that this is happening, and they're writing to their legislators and insisting that they crack down. And if legislators respond to this, this is natural, this is their duty. As an administrator myself, I'm not disposed to take a terribly hard line, but perhaps it would help me if behind me there are legislators who do take a hard line. Looking back, sir, do you think that uh, some of the difficulties on campus of San Francisco State might have been avoided had the school closed down for a period of time so that the problems might have been negotiated in a calmer atmosphere no, and that then reopened? This theory that things might have been mitigated by closing down the college is, it seems to me to be a totally absurd theory, one that I rejected outright in the very beginning of my presidency. The whole purpose of this disturbance is to close down the college, and so if you close down the college, you've just, you've just lost the war right there. You don't there. think it might have reopened at all, then? Exactly. Or it might have been much more difficult to reopen? Exactly. Or if the news media had ignored what was happening? That's been said many, many times, that it's the fall of the news media that it became what it is. No, I don't blame it on the news media. This is a difficult question. I do feel that some aspects of this may be heightened or accelerated because of the sense of urgency given to events that happen, whether in Vietnam or in San Francisco State College, by the quickness and immediacy of coverage. I think that it tends to heighten excitement about these things. But to blame the whole thing on the news media would be, I think, extremely wrong, because notice that uh, the news media also quickly report, for example, the measures I took to fight against the disorder and elicited an enormous amount of support for my position. So perhaps the, me perhaps the way to say it is that the news media give aid and comfort to all sides. <laughs> Uh, of a difficult situation so as to make it all more difficult for everybody concerned. <laughs> but there were going to be difficulties anyway, probably. Dr. Hayakawa, if it's possible, could you give us a brief outline of what you'd like to see happen in the next six months at the school and what you think the chances are of having it happen? Well, a lot of what I want to see happen is already happening. Oh? Yes. For example, people are studying. They're reading books. You have police on campus. We'll please have police on campus. But that doesn't bother people, young people, from making dates, studying, working in laboratories. Our basketball team, our wrestling team, our soccer team went on to make win championships. Do you consider this very important? Of course. See? I believe that what people do in drama, 
in literature, in athletics, are all important part of education. We have a jazz workshop, a real far-out jazz workshop, which this very weekend is competing against other jazz groups in uh, Norwalk, California, and we are very, very confident that, uh, that the jazz workshop, which is the pride of our music department, is going to come home with another prize. We have creative writing going on, we have the study of history going on, we have people writing poetry, we have all the things going on that, uh, that should go on in a university. We have young people going out on anthropological and archaeological expeditions. Goodness, these, these are the things that college is for. We have young people going out into the central city, helping with uh, social work, helping with uh, the education of, uh, of young children in deprived homes. We're, we have we have people in special education working with crippled children and handicapped children. This is the normal work of the college, and it's going on right now. And almost all of it is going on at almost 100% efficiency. And the people that are giving the trouble, the people who are threatening to strike, the striking teachers, all these people, they're just a, they're, they're just a minority. They're, in this respect, they're the people that the news media pay attention to. But I want you to send people, cameramen and radio reporters, out to see our workshops, for example, in the Department of Special Education, where they do this fantastic, beautiful work with handicapped children so that they overcome their handicaps. I'd like you to, uh, to send, send people out, your radio people especially, to attend some of our poetry readings. Of course, the blank students are telling you that there are many handicapped in an entirely different way and that that comes first. These, these, these things are being encountered too. And in our, center, in our Center for Innovative Education, we have black students working on career problems, dealing with uh, high school dropouts at uh, Project ABLE and helping them to find careers. All sorts of swinging and beautiful things go on at San Francisco State College despite all the headlines and the attention paid to the disturbances. Yet, sir, do you, um, w would you say that, uh, I'm sure you would agree that you are not the darling of most students in the country today because whether rightly or wrongly you represent what uh, they so facilely now call repressive tactics. Uh, yet, if, um, if activities in San Francisco State are going along more or less peacefully and, uh, as you say, there's a minority of dissident students, how do the majority of students at San Francisco State regard you. Do you have any indicators there? Well, I have some very, very fine indicators of that. See, I have absolutely bushels of fan mail from students, as well as from Republicans and Democrats. San Francisco State College students? Yes, they've, they've, that's begun, begun to come in, too. And uh, something that's been happening in just the past couple of weeks which makes me very happy is that I walk across the campus. See, when things were really tough, I couldn't even walk across the campus without security guards. But now as I walk around the campus without security guards, you know, to students who, who are total strangers to me smile and say hello and, and run up to me and shake my hand and thank you for keeping the school open and so on. How about your relations with the American Federation of Teachers now on 
I believe it was last Thursday, mm. they set up a, an international picket line. Yes. My relations with the American Federation of Teachers is very strained. It's very bad. They hate me. I guess I hate them, too. I don't mean the whole Federation. I mean this local. I have nothing against other locals, and so they, they haven't been in my hair. You don't think they've gained any ground toward representing eventually a majority of the faculty at San Francisco State? No, they represent fewer and fewer as time goes on. How is that? Well, because so Just many like members have resigned. They claim that they've increased their membership according to the last newsletter. I haven't seen their last newsletter, and I don't believe a word of it. Well, I think that's a good night, uh, note to close on. Um, I want to thank you for appearing with us here tonight. Uh, Dr. S.I. Hayakawa, president of San Francisco State College here on In uh, Depth. Oh, we have one final question. There's always an extra note from the balcony, and a good one, too, if we may, if we may insert this just uh, briefly. Uh, there's talk that you may become a governor or a senator. How does it sound to you? Wow. <laughs> You've been listening to the ninth program in this weekly series. Our guest has been Dr. S.I. Hayakawa. Jess Birnbaum, San Francisco Bureau Chief for Time Life Publications, was our visiting journalist. In Depth is an unrehearsed news interview pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. It is produced for KCBS News and Public Affairs by Bob Vanowski. Your comments are invited. Send them to In Depth, KCBS, San Francisco, 94105. Listen next week for another edition of the program that goes behind the headlines. This is KCBS News Radio in depth. Remember to follow the News Vault from KCBS Radio on social media. On Facebook, we're at News Vault Podcast. On Twitter, find us at News Vault SF. On Instagram, we're at News Vault. Until our next episode, you are leaving the News Vault from KCBS Radio. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas... Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.